Welcome to Foundations of Emo, hosted by Claire and Danny. Each episode, we take one of our favourite bands and dive deep into their history and origins, reminiscing on our own emo roots along the way. Yay! Yay! I did it! <laughs> you know, we could always just like record it. And, like, I've thought about that <laughs> use so the pre-recorded one. many times. It's so much more authentic than we do it live exactly. every time. Are we going to laugh? Or are we not going to laugh? Who knows? Anything could happen. <laughs> probably i'll burp during it or something always <laughs> so how are you great how are you good i've recovered from paramore oh my god so good it was so good i take back everything i said yeah i'm sorry i was a hater before no I've longer actually, a hater i've actually even been listening to them since the gig that always happens to me where i don't really listen to that much in the run-up and then i go to the gig and i'm like god they're fantastic and then i listen to them loads after i've just had them constantly in my head since then it was so good. What was your favourite song that they played? Ooh. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. We had some excellent moments that we did me have and you were just singing yeah, yeah, our faces yeah, off at each yeah. other. I caught myself. It was great. Oh, God, yeah. I lost myself <laughs> in that song. <laughs> oh, when we talked about the awfulness, though, the last part. Oh. We were so angry. Do you know, I actually forgot it until midway through the next day and then I was like, wait a minute, I'm still you were, angry. You were actually the angriest. <laughs> I was. That, was. that was called the alcohol, Claire. <laughs> you were proceeding to tell everyone. <laughs> Everybody. Random people on but the actually, street. actually, Twitter afterwards was also very angry about it. Yeah, I did see. Basically, we saw the set list before the gig started, so we knew what songs were coming. Which was useful. And for the finale, or for the encore, sorry, they were supposed to play... All I Wanted. All I you want. can't even remember any reason about it. I don't remember the name of my brain. <laughs> they were supposed to play All I Wanted and then Crave, which I don't even know that song. And then because of the production issues in the three arena, they lost five minutes of the gig, so they didn't play All I Wanted. Yeah. Apparently, that was the first time they had played Crave. So that's obviously why they wanted to play it, rather than All I Wanted. I don't even know that song. It and a- it was such a bummer, like for an encore, for it to be crap song. song. Like- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it could have been All I Wanted, which was the song I really wanted to see. And I think it was the realisation when I saw all the banners and the streamers, I was like, they're not going to play it. Yeah. Like, you just kept saying, to... you just kept looking at me, you're like, they're not going to play it, they're not going to play it. And I was like, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Although someone told me that for every minute they go over the curfew in the three arena, the artist has to pay 10k. So that's obviously why they were like, shit. I would have paid the 30k <laughs> to yeah. see them play All just I play Wanted. That one. <laughs> They only started playing it a few months ago. They never played yeah, it live ever. That, yeah. So I really wanted to see it, but it didn't happen. But you know what? It was still fantastic. Yeah. And to be fair, if they announced another show like next in the next couple of years, I would go again. Yeah. Even though I complained so much about going to that one. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> I felt really bad for her when everyone jumped down her throat because she mentioned the UK. <laughs> yeah. It's what all people deserve when they mention Ireland and the UK in the but same breath. But she wasn't even saying it. I know, I know. She Nobody wasn't. gave her a chance. Yeah. So if you didn't hear, basically, she started a sentence that was like, last time we were in the UK and everyone was like, boo! But what she was going to say was last time we were in the UK... She said we didn't play Ireland. We didn't get a chance to play <clears throat> Ireland. So she's... Yeah. She wasn't necessarily saying Ireland was in the UK, but it's very funny. I saw a, like a couple of funny tweets about it that was like, we like absolutely love you. Like we're sitting there crying, like listening to songs from our youth and all. But like we'll absolutely destroy you if you ever, <laughs> if you say something bad. Like, <laughs> Actually, what I'd forgotten about was that weird part where they swapped positions and Zach Farrow's band played. Oh God. Surely they could have cut that out instead of the encore. Yeah, because that wasn't even... Very... It was weird. It was like watching somebody I saved by the bell. 
<laughs> put those sunglasses on and then nobody knew what was going on. Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy that. Apparently he has some sort of side project, so they just let him do his little side project. I'd actually completely forgotten about that. Yeah. Hmm, it was better off forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. But anyway, today we're here to talk about Panic at the Disco. Panic at the Disco. <laughs> More to come on that later. Um, oh, do we know why it's called that? Yeah, well, I've got lots of facts here. Oh. I'm ready to start spitting. <laughs> so Panic at the Disco started in 2004, to make you feel old. Super old. In Summerlin, Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, by childhood friends Ryan Ross, Spencer Smith, Brent Wilson and Brendan Urie. And at the time, they were all around 17 or 18. So when Ryan Ross, I just want to say his real name is George. <laughs> George Ryan Ross, but he goes by Ryan Ross because it sounds, it sounds cooler. Better. I was going to say, do they all have to have um, alliteration in their names? <laughs> So when Ryan Ross was 12, he began collaborating with his best friend, Spencer Smith, who received a drum kit for Christmas. They mostly covered Blink-182 songs with Ryan on vocals, and they called their band Pet Salamander, which I just really like, but they're also 12, so it makes sense. So Ryan wrote the lyrics to his first song when he was only 14, and then they teamed up with Brent Wilson and another boy named Trevor Howell on guitar to make Summer League, which was another band, and that was before they met Brendan Urie and formed Panic. So Ryan was the lead guitarist, backing and lead vocalist and primary songwriter for Panic and Spencer was the drummer. Brendan was born in Utah, but his family moved to Las Vegas when he was two. He was raised in an LDS family, you know, the the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, like Mormon. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Do you know what's weird? It's like when you kind of look at him, you're like, he does kind of look like a Mormon. I don't know. (laughs) I actually know what you mean. I didn't know they had a look, but when you think about it, (laughs) it makes sense. But when he was 17, he left the faith due to displeasure with the church and not believing in its ideology. Fair play. Which is absolutely fair. Everybody should leave their religions. Leave the church. Join (laughs) us instead. (laughs) Like, I'm very, like, each to their own. But the more I hear about religions, the more I'm like, do you know what? They're all just so evil that I don't have time for it anymore. (laughs) Anyway, that's that's another rant for another day. So Ryan was the lead singer initially, but after hearing Brendan sing back up during rehearsals, the group decided to make him the lead. Which I wonder, like... How you felt about that? That was like that time when everyone wanted me to be the lead singer because I was better than you, but you insisted. Yeah, this sounds like letting that happen. <laughs> that sounds like something that could actually happen. <laughs> Never happened, guys. I'm joking. <laughs> so they recorded their first demos while they were still in high school. Apart from Ryan Ross, he was a year older than the rest of them. So he was in his first year of college. And they rehearsed in Spencer's grandmother's living room. Which I just think is really cute. Super cute. Brenda began working at Tropical Smoothie Cafe in Summerlin to afford rent for the band's new practice space. And he told, said in an interview that he used to like sing for tips during his time working. Oh, I don't know. Like my impression of him based on like I've, I've read a lot about him, so I know more about him now. But like the fact the way that I think of him as being this kind of showman, I could just imagine him being quite obnoxious. Like you're trying to get a smoothie and he's like singing to you and you're like, can you just fuck off? <laughs> I'd say that's why people paid him though. I'll pay if you shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like he has an amazing voice, don't get me wrong, but like I don't want a song with my smoothie. No. <laughs> so Ryan and Brendan sent their demo to Fallout Boy's Pete Wentz on Live Journal. At the time he was in LA recording from Under the Cork Tree, but he drove to meet them after hearing only like one or two songs. So then he offered to sign them to Fueled by Ramen's imprint label, Decadence Records, and they were the first band on Decadence. Mm. And they had never played a live show before. <laughs> That's so weird. All they had done was like record a few songs and then Pete heard them and then he was like, yeah, you're on my label. And they'd literally never even played a show. Well, fair play to them because most <laughs> of the, like from the other bands we've done, they've been signed based on someone watching them perform live. Yeah. 
So they'd never even done that. So who knew how good they were going to be? And at the time, like they were all still in high school apart from Ryan. Cute. Pete began to hype the band wherever possible and he was seen wearing a Pete at the Disco t-shirt on stage and he was like kept bringing up the groups whenever he was doing interviews and stuff like that. But obviously they were his first signing to his label so So, he had to pick them up. But I really liked Pete at the Disco t-shirts. That that was cool. Did I still sell them? (laughs) I'm sure we can make one. (laughs) So in June 2005 they recorded their debut album A Fever You Can't Sweat Out in Maryland. They only had a shell of an album when they went into the studio so it shaped up really quickly and they were doing 12 to 14 hour days with no days off for five and a half weeks. Wow. So they're really long days, but it was still only five and a half weeks altogether to like write and record the album. The whole album, yeah. <laughs> so the band were living in bunk beds in a one bed apartment. This is like a direct quote from Ryan Ross. He said, everyone got on everybody's nerves. Someone would write a new part for a song and someone else would say they didn't like it just because you ate their cereal that morning. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds stressful. <laughs> and here's something that I never realised the second I heard it, my brain was like, oh my god. The album is split into two halves. They do have an interlude thingy, don't they? Yeah, because the first half is like electronic dance punk and then the second half is all the like vaudevillian piano and strings and accordion. No, I wouldn't have copped that part. But I didn't cop it. I did cop it with an interlude. <laughs> Once they said that, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> because even like in that interlude... Or intermission. It's like a d- dance. Yeah, yeah. And then it stops and then it goes, now time, whatever. Oh, yeah. And then it goes into piano. Uh, like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> duh. It's so obvious, but like, never copped. Never copped. As they were like writing, they started to not like the earlier stuff, like the dance stuff. They wanted to keep it more piano. Their producer said, why don't we tell the story of the creative evolution as the theme of the album? So that's why they kept like both halves of it. Oh. The album was strongly influenced by Chuck Palahniuk. I can never say this, Palaniuk's work. And there's quotes from loads of his books in the lyrics. Hmm. There is like a list if you look it up, but I wasn't going to start reciting all the all the quotes from the books because I didn't like know them all. And Pete Wentz was an advisor on the lyrical content and Panic noticed the trend of the long song, song titles. Yes. So they did it as an inside joke with like Pete and their other friends. Oh, because it is the only album really where they're that long yeah right yeah but I love that I was like oh it's a little inside joke like ah and then after recording they went home to learn how to be a band (laughs) they played their first show in the summer 2005 at the alley in Las Vegas and then they went on the Nintendo Fusion tour with Fall Out Boy Motion City soundtrack the starting line and Boys Night Night Out for the rest of the year so yeah well obviously it's because they were linked with Pete and Fall Out Boy they were able to do that yeah they hadn't like played gigs and then all of a sudden they were on tour of Fall Out Boy which is amazing and the album was released in September 2005 and initial sales were relatively slow so they had 10,000 sales the first week I love how they say that slow like imagine you sold 10,000 records so slow (laughs) this is a bad week for me And within the first four months, they released the video for I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. And then they would rocket up the Billboard charts and surpass 500,000 albums sold. Wow. Based on the release of that single. Like. So by the end of March 2006, they announced a headline tour. The album was certified platinum and I Write Sins won video of the year of, at the MTV VMAs. Great video. Yeah. You but- always come on and you'd be like, <laughs> yeah. That's just panic to me. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. remember that? The VMAs that year, it was like they were up against like Madonna and massive acts and they won best video, which was amazing. Yeah. Well, and this is like a few months after they've started. They're already yeah, here. Yeah, winning all that. <laughs> Beating Madonna, like that's insane. So they had five singles off the album. The only difference between Martyrdom and Suicide is press coverage. I write sins, not tragedies, but it's better if you do. Lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off. And then build God, then we'll talk. All mouthfuls. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about the album? Well, 
obviously it's a classic I don't think it ages like I no. it's not something I'd listen to often but if I'm like do you know what I'll listen to I'll put that on I will be tap dancing yeah, around yeah, my living yeah. room <laughs> it's so good and I remember when it came out and like I'd re-listen to it and re-listen to it it was just so dancey and really yeah loved it I remember playing it when Indy was like young like yeah now that she's Younger. so old she's nearly five um when she was like two or something and I put it on one day and we were like dancing around the apartment to it like but so it's good. just you just you just have to dance when you put yeah. it on yeah you really do even like the dancey songs and the vaudevillian songs that we didn't know about <laughs> and I have to say I like there are so many lyrics on it like there are so many words and yeah. I love like singing it so fun yeah yeah <laughs> so in may 2006 they announced that brent wilson the bassist had left and was replaced by john walker they po- posted a statement that was very diplomatic but didn't state any reasons for the lineup change hmm. the following month brent himself told mtv news that he was kicked out the exact quote from him was it was done as a phone call and the only person who spoke was spencer apparently brenton and ryan were on the speakerphone too but they didn't say a word they never even said they were sorry which is like ouch so in reply Spencer wrote a lengthy email to MTV News in response this is so like drama yeah (laughs) writing to MTV to like get your facts out the quote is we made the decision based on Brent's lack of responsibility and the fact that he wasn't progressing musically with the band Jesus (laughs) that's so so bad what was it you have no talent basically remember (laughs) and take it back somewhere he also revealed that Wilson didn't write or play any bass on Fever. Instead, Brendan recorded those parts in the studio. Okay, so this well, that's is fair then. <laughs> I've read a lot of things about this and it's kind of like Brent says he did, but they say he didn't. So it's a bit like, yeah. I don't know what's the truth. He said, she said, yeah. But he demanded a cut in royalties anyway and threatened to take them to court. Did he get it? I, I think he got some royalties. Like, I don't think that went to court in the end, but like it was going to go It'd that way. so good if he didn't actually play or write any of it and he's still getting royalties. <laughs> then they went on to support The Academy Is and in June started their own tour. At the 2006 Reading Festival, they were excessively bottled, was the phrase that I read. And Brendan was actually knocked unconscious by a bottle. And when he came to, they continued the set. Well, fair play to him. (laughs) Which is like, yeah, fair play. But Jesus Christ. (laughs) Metal fans are like just so ruthless. so harsh. In November, they started their Nothing Rhymes with Circus tour, which featured the band's first highly theatrical live shows. Every song had dance numbers, skits and tricks performed by a six-member troupe and the band donned intricate costumes, loosely reenacting moments from the songs. They then decided to take a break and work on their follow-up album. In March 2007, they went to a cabin in the rural mountains of Mount Charleston, Nevada to begin writing their follow-up album, Cricket and Clover. That's not an album, right? (laughs) They recorded some tracks, played them on tours over the summer, and then by August decided that they weren't interested in them and scrapped the album, which was three quarters done. That's why you've never heard Cricket and Clover. Could have been. (laughs) So they wanted to go back to basics and began writing songs with just an acoustic guitar and vocals. And in October, they went to a studio in the Palms Casino Resort in Las Vegas and began recording. In January 2008, they revealed a new logo that had dropped the exclamation mark from their name. I never knew this was a thing. I thought they were But I was shook. (laughs) So they're not panic at the disco? No, just panic at the disco. No. I know. I know. No, I don't like it as much anymore. I know. Mm -mm. Like, the effect of just the exclamation mark. Crazy. So in March, they released Pretty Odd, which was described as similar to the Beatles in songwriting and scope. I feel it's very Beatles-y. I, yeah. 
I hate it. I mean, I just hate it, but I also don't like the Beatles. So, controversial opinion. Controversial opinion. Controversial opinion that Beatles maybe weren't as good as everyone says they are. Yeah. This is this is my thing about the Beatles, right? Oh, sidetrack. Here we go. Oh. Everyone's like, one of the best bands there ever was. Incredible songwriting. And the song is just... I want to hold your hand. Yeah, but what a tune, though. I want to hold your hand. This is all their songs. When you touch me, I feel happy. Okay. Have you heard the conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney died and was replaced by someone else? Yes. Have you looked up all the evidence of it? No. It's so good. I encourage you to The Avril Lavigne Melissa one is my (laughs) favourite. But yeah, so Pretty Odd does really sound like the Beatles. I had thought that I had listened to it. And didn't like it, but I actually think that I had listened to Nine in the Afternoon. I was gonna say and didn't yeah. like that, so never listened to the album. I was thinking I surely must have listened to it because Nine in the Afternoon is on it, and then I listened to it for this, and I I had never heard any of those songs. Yeah, no, and I was better for it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need to hear any of those songs. They, yeah, God, it's, it's pretty really odd. bad. I really, really did not like it. There's a lot of people say it's similar to the Beatles. I totally get where they're coming from, but apparently it was coincidence. That they sound like the Beatles? Yeah. It wasn't something they did on purpose. But like, uh, explain those little fucking vests then. <laughs> what vests? In all the videos and they're wearing those little fucking vests. They look like hobbits. Did the Beatles wear vests? I don't know. It just looks real <laughs> 70s. Like it looks, I don't know. <laughs> Ugh. I was imagining vests like, do you know, like a... Um, White feeders. Like fishnet vests. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it would be a lot cooler than the little fucking brown velvet vests they were wearing. <laughs> the suede numbers. <sighs> So it debuted at number two on the US Billboard charts, but then had disappointing sales overall compared to Fever. The weirdest part about it, it was critically acclaimed. Ew. Probably like, because Beatles fans were... There was um, quotes that I was reading saying that, like, the first album was embarrassing, but this is, like, incredible. And I'm like, wait, are we... Did we get them mixed up? Like, mm. <laughs> that was from, like, music critics. I do always wonder who these music critics are, though, because... <laughs> It'd be like us critiquing the Beatles. It's just not our thing. Like so what I just did. Like, it's just there. <laughs> is it like six-year-old men listening to it going, mm, don't Maybe. Really get it. I don't know. But anyway, the critics loved it. But obviously, I think what you can see here, like with it debuting at number two, was like the fans were coming from mm. a fever and being like, can't wait to see what they do next. And then the sales dropped because people found out what they were doing and it wasn't good. <laughs> It had four singles, Nine in the Afternoon, Mad as Rabbits, That Green Gentleman, which in brackets, things have changed, and Northern Downpour. I can safely say I've never heard of those titles. Yeah, like I, I listened to the album in the lead up to this, and I know Nine in the Afternoon, because that was a single. Nine well, the these were all singles, but I don't know the rest of them, like, at nope. all. Don't know any of these songs. They went on to tour the album, and each show contained woodsy set pieces, projections of flora and fauna, and mic stands wrapped in lights and flowers, and each band member dressed in a vest. (laughs) I read that online, but like, I can see it in my head from like the nine in the afternoon video, those little fucking suede vests. This is coming out of Alice in Wonderland. And they wanted it to be like real stripped back and just them and the music, whereas like they were doing a full circus for a fever. Yeah. And then they released a live album in December 2008 with an accompanying DVD containing photos from the tour, each music video from the album and behind the scenes footage of the videos and the tour and a short film called Panic at the Disco in American Valley and the documentary feature based on the tour, All in a Daze. Mm-hmm. Come be arsed. Skip, 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 <laughs> skip. 
So in spring 2009, they began recording material for their third studio album. However, in the July, Ryan and John announced on the band's official website that they were leaving. They said it was a civil conversation over lunch where Ryan and John decided they wanted to do their own thing for a while. They put it down to creative differences as Brendan wanted a more polished pop sound and they wanted to do retro-inspired rock. So Ryan and John went on to start The Young Veins, but only ever released one album. So Never heard let's see if that, yeah. that didn't go great for them. And if retro-inspired rock is pretty odd, then I'm pretty glad that they <laughs> left. Side <laughs> note, but wasn't Ryan a model? I don't know. Did I make that up? I didn't read anything about it. Maybe I made that up. You might have. He has a little, cute little face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's where I go. <laughs> Panic were booked for a tour with Blink-182 in August and announced that they would continue, as would the album that they were writing. So they're like, oh, two members gone. Yeah, That's I was fine. To say, is he talking about himself in the third part? Or, <laughs> but no, there is the other fella. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so John Walker and Brendan Eary. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, no, things will just continue as normal, <laughs> even though we're oh. half the band down. Oh. July 2009, Alternative Press Magazine announced the exclamation mark was back. Stop. <laughs> so they removed it for one album. Yeah. And then we're like, hang on a second, guys. It was all in the explanation more. <laughs> They're back, baby. <laughs> oh, I'm delighted about that. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil it earlier on because this is like the big moment for the episode. <laughs> what? So they genuinely took it away and then brought it back. Yeah. So but did you know as well, like the Pretty Odd album has like pretty and then it's like full stop odd. Yeah, I did not. So that. it's like they added extra exclamation marks into the name, but like got rid of it out of their name. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is, it's like, where did you think that came to them? Did you think Brendan Urie was lying in bed one night and he was like, wait a second. Let's go back to our old sound. Bring it back. Bring it back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So the former guitarist of pop rock band The Cab, Ian Crawford, and Dallin Weeks, who was a frontman of indie rock band The Brobecks, filled in for Ross and Walker on tour with Blink-182. In early 2010, the band went back to the studio and spent most of the year working on the next album. A majority of the band's previous material was written by former guitarist Ryan Ross. So for Vices and Virtues, Brendan had to step up and take the reins lyrically, which he regarded as having not much experience in prior. Oh, interesting. So he'd like never written a song and then it was like, well, it's all on me now. (laughs) That is very interesting. Yeah, I think that's crazy. So Dallin Weeks joined the official lineup with Spencer and Brandon. Oh, sorry, Spencer was not John Walker. He left. Spencer Smith (gasps) and Brandon Urie, making them a three piece. He didn't play on the album but was involved in conceptualising the album artwork as well as appearing on the cover with a mask on. <laughs> so if you've seen, I actually had to go look it up, the cover of Vices and Virtues. Let me look it up. It's Spencer and Brendan sitting on a couch and Dallin Weeks sitting in the background, standing in the background with a mask on like you'd never know it was him. <laughs> this one here? Yeah. Oh, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> that's terrifying. What? Could be anybody. <laughs> but, what? but you know I had a fleeting thought I was like imagine it's not him but they just say it because he joined the band at that time they're like we'll say that was you <laughs> it's a few things about this album so obviously this was like Brennan's first time writing and stuff like that there's a song on it called The Calendar and it was originally written about like a relationship between a man and a woman but it began to resemble the friendships in former members Ross and Walker and the song was finished as a direct response to their departure from the group I love when they do that. Yeah. yeah it's a response. <laughs> yeah, it just reminded me of Taking Back Sunday. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we're writing dramatic songs about people who left. And then Sarah Smiles was written about Brendan's wife. Is her name Sarah? Yes. Huh. <laughs> and then there's a song called Nearly Witches Ever Since We Met. And that was written for four Pretty Odd, but they didn't think, think that it fit with the sound of Pretty Odd. So they saved it and then they put it on this album. Hmm. 
Or maybe Brendan couldn't write enough songs. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, wait, we still have that <laughs> one stashed away. One. So February 1st, 2011, they released the first single, The Ballad of Mona Lisa. And then they released the album, Vices and Virtues, in March. They had two other singles, which is Ready to Go, Get Me Out of My Mind, and Let's Kill Tonight. Ready to Go used to be on a playlist when I worked in H&M. Yeah. And I never knew it was Panic! at the Disco because I'd fallen out of the music yeah, at that yeah. time. But every time I heard it, it was so catchy. I was oh, always no, bopping around to it. But always had me bopping around. And then one day, I don't know what it was, like something clicked in my mind and I was like, that is Brendan Urie. <laughs> and I looked it up and it was. I like this album. I, do you know, it's one of the ones I've listened to least because it came out when I was like out of my rock phase. So they went on to tour the album and they went back to the over-the-top theatricality of the Fever tour. Yeah. So it was all like big things going on on stage. No and... flora, no fauna. Yeah, they got rid of that. <laughs> I hope they set fire to it. <laughs> After the tour, they began to work on the fourth album. So it's we're back to the trio there. Spencer Smith, Brendan Urie and what's-his-face, Dallin Weeks. I looked up Ryan Ross there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was talking about. There's most definitely no way that man was a model. Oh, is he weird looking? <laughs> well, like, he's a child. Yeah, I remember he has, like, a little boy face. He's faux show, not model material anyway, so ignore that fact that I threw in there. <laughs> so touring guitarist Ian Crawford announced the departure. So he was only a touring guitarist, but he still left. And he said he wanted to make real genuine music. <laughs> Why is everyone so harsh to each other? <laughs> it's really, like, everything is mean. In you Jul- have no talent. <laughs> I want to make real music. <laughs> In July 2013, the album title was announced with a scheduled release date of October. So the album is Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die. The album name was taken from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. So they were kind of going back to their Vegas theme. And I read something that was like, like they grew up in Vegas, they lived in Vegas. And when they were making A Fever You Can't Sweat Out, they were like really against Vegas. So a lot of it is making fun of it. They wanted to kind of, they thought it was cheesy and they wanted to get away from it. But now they're starting to embrace it. I say they, but like it's only Spencer and Brendan. (laughs) I was thinking this morning when I was listening to it, they have to be from Las Vegas because everything is so Las Vegas, Las Vegas. Yeah. So the same day that they released the album, they released the first single, Miss Jackson. And then they went on to release three more singles. This is Gospel, Girls, Girls, Boys and Nicotine. Which I like. Great catchy tunes, honestly. This is another one, like I haven't listened to the album that much, but I know the singles really well. I would have said these singles came before the last album. Goes to show what I know. These two are kind of lumped together in my head, to be fair. The last two albums. But that Girls, Girls, Boys, I just feel like is much older. Mm. Obviously not. So shortly before they embarked on a tour of the album, Spencer wrote an open letter to fans regarding his abuse of alcohol and prescription drugs since recording Pretty Odd. And he went on the first few tour dates, but then left the band to continue fighting his addiction. So at this stage we have... Brendan and Alan Weeks. (laughs) So a guy called Dan Pavlovich of the band Valencia filled in for the tour. These are kind of bands that I've never heard of. Do you know the rest of the bands we were doing and and somebody would break their arm or something and... This guy from this other band would fill in and you'd always heard of them. Yeah. These are like, who? <laughs> who can we get? You, can you play drums? You're in. <laughs> can you not play drums? Doesn't matter, you're still in. <laughs> in September 2014, during an interview with Pure Fresh, Brendan stated that he had ideas for a fifth studio album, but did not know if it would be Panic or if he'd do a solo project. He mentioned that there were no plans for Spencer to rejoin the band at this time. To be fair, he was battling an addiction. It wasn't like they had a fight or he was like, I'm going to go make real music. Like, he actually tried to go on the tour, did a few dates yeah. and was like, I can't. He he did, in a statement, he said something like, I just, 
I can't be on tour and be sober. Like Yeah, fair enough, I suppose. <laughs> so we had to leave to like just focus on that. So April 2015, Spencer announced that he had officially left the band. So this is over a year later when he officially is like, do you know what, I'm actually yeah, yeah, never yeah. going to go back. Yeah. So I suppose they, they were holding his place. <laughs> then he realised, yeah, that's not going to happen. And a few weeks later, Brendan released the single Hallelujah with no prior warning. So usually, like, they'd be teasing or they'd be like, new music coming soon or whatever, but they just released a song. <laughs> it debuted at number 40, which was the band's second highest single after I Write Since. Oh. Yeah, because I would have thought, like, some, like, Ready to Go. Well, I feel like I was always listening to it in work. You know, mm, a song that you heard girls, played. Girls, boys, I thought it was. Yeah. Well, apparently not. And then in September, Death of a Bachelor premiered on an Apple Music broadcast hosted by Pete Wentz, of course. Of he's course, still, none he's still He's still promoting them, Pete fair play. And then the second single, Victorious, was released at the end of the month. So in October, Brendan announced on the band's Facebook that their next album, Death of a Bachelor, would be released in January 2016. It was the first album written and composed by Brendan with a team of writers, as Dallin Weeks was referred to as a touring member again, rather than an official member. Do you think he knew that? (laughs) I don't know. Like, there's mad stuff going on in this band. Who knows? (laughs) So they went on to release the singles Emperor's New Clothes, LA Devotee, and Don't Threaten Me With A Good Time. And then they announced the Death of a Bachelor tour for 2017. I love this album. Do you? Love it. Oh, I don't. Really? Oh, I do not. I think they got in a team of writers, and that's why it's so good, because the writers obviously know what they're doing. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's that's actually true. Kind of awkward. Like Brendan did like write on it with the writers because a lot of it apparently a lot of it is inspired by like he had married his wife and he was Sarah? living with yes Sarah <laughs> and he was living with her and that's kind of like Death of a Bachelor was about their life together in their home that was like chill and cool and quiet and oh. not like party central. Oh. That, that's apparently the entire like inspiration for the album. Oh, I think because I had fallen out of the rock scene and then. This album came out and it was around the time that I started getting back into it. And I listened to this album and then I became obsessed with it and I listened to it constantly. And then I went to LA and I listened to LA Devotee like every day. And then I captioned my Instagram picture with (laughs) the lyrics from LA Devotee. And then my husband of the time told me I was a fucking loser. And he wasn't wrong. This is probably the only thing he's ever been right about. He was like, oh, you're so embarrassing. In December 2017, they released their fourth live album. Fourth live album. There's no need. There's really no need. There was no need for the first. It's called All My Friends, We're Glorious, Death of a Bachelor Tour Live. And then they went on to release a Christmas song that wasn't on the album. And a week later, Dallin Weeks officially announced his departure. I didn't read anything scandalous about what he said. I think he just left. Nobody knew who he was anyway. (laughs) He's probably just like, do you know that gif of Homer like going into the (laughs) bush? bush. That's probably him. He's just like, bye. Bye. Peace. In March 2018, the band began teasing the release of a lead single and a subsequent album with a two minute long video of Brendan brushing his teeth beside an alarm clock which read 319 for the video's entirety. And it was accompanied by an orchestral version of King of the Clouds. And the time on the clock led fans to believe that the band would be releasing new material on March 19th. Over a week later, fans received packages sent from Brendan's P.O. box containing a white bottle reading Pray for the Wicked 321 Unholy Water. This was... 100% Pete Wentz idea. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. There's no way Brendan Urie did this. <laughs> nah. And it was once more leading to a speculation of a release date of March 21st. On March 19th, the band announced a surprise show at the Grog Shop in Cleveland, Ohio. And that was the first night that their new touring bassist, Nicole Rowe, came on board. A female? Yeah. Oh. I actually just included that because I like that she's a girl. 
I was like, ooh, Nicole. <laughs> so the same month they released two songs simultaneously. They released Say Amen Saturday Night and Fuck a Silver Lining. And at the same time, they announced the new album Pray for the Wicked and a Pray for the Wicked tour. That song Fuck a Silver Lining. I once had that stuck in my head for days, but I couldn't remember the words. Oh, nothing more annoying. And my brain was just going, and then my brain clicked and I was like, fuck it. And I still couldn't figure out what song it was. And I was like, how do I Google lyrics, fucker? You know, like Shazam, you humming. And then I started being like, there's no way there's a song that says fucker something in it. And it was this whole thing that like nearly ruined my life. They also then went on to release High Hopes and Hey Look Ma, I Made It. Got to have high hopes. <laughs> you can't not do that when you hear that title. Really? My brain was immediately like, Hey Look Ma, I Made It. Do, do, do. Oh yeah. <laughs> Very catchy hey songs. Look, it's, it's the writers, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> they can write a catchy tune. <laughs> on June 7th, 2018, they played at the Bellagio Fountains, which was sentimental for them as it was back in their hometown. And I just need to say that June 7th, 2018 was like my two-year wedding anniversary and I got married at the Bellagio. Oh my god. So it was, <laughs> it's really weird. I read the date like four times and I was like, I was like, that reminds me of something. I'm like, oh, my wedding. Um, that was June 7, 2016. Best but like life. in the same place. That's just why I thought it was funny. And then they headlined Reading and Leeds that summer. I wonder if they were bottled again. Yeah, Probably. Did they not learn from the first time? And by day, I mean the promoters or the organisers. Mm. In August, they released High Hopes, which went on to be their highest placing single at number four on the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah, that song was definitely popular. I remember going on holidays in that summer of 2018 and there was like groups of people sitting around by the pool playing songs and they'd be playing all the like chart hits of like all the dance songs and then every few minutes Panic of the Disco would be on and I was like, this is so bizarre. (laughs) It was those trumpets at the start. (laughs) 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 What... Do you think of the song? Um, just no. So it really? Just all goes downhill for me after. Yeah. That's so funny because I think Vices and Virtues and the other one after that, the two Weird to Live. Yeah. They're like together in my mind, and then Death of a Bachelor and this one are together in my mind. But I love these two. Like love them. So I'm the opposite. They are together in my mind as well. Except I prefer the older ones. <laughs> I've actually even just like in the lead up to this because I had to listen to it for the episode. I've had both both of those albums on repeat. And I'm like, mm, which one? But it's always between Death of a Bachelor and this one. Oh. In September, they announced that they would be dismissing their long-term touring guitarist, Kenneth Harris, following multiple allegations of sexual misconduct involving underage fans. Of course, pervert. There's never an episode <laughs> that doesn't involve a pervert. <laughs> they recorded a version of Into the Unknown for the Frozen 2 soundtrack released in 2019. Oh, cute. Do you not know that song? Do I? Oh, uh, well... I have, have, I have a young child, so <laughs> I know that song so well. But I actually still enjoy it. And it was nice to, that, like, in amongst the Disney songs, I could listen you to a Panic song. And I used to play the video for her when she was, like, tiny. And she used to, like, kiss the phone whenever Brendan Urie was Aww. on it. So I always think, like, that was her first crush. <laughs> so in May 2019, during an interview, Brendan revealed that he'd begun working on ideas for a new album. Brendan called the album a look back at who I was 17 years ago and who I am now with the fondness I didn't have before. I didn't realise I was making an album and there was something about the tape machine that kept me honest. So in May 2022, so sorry, it was like literally three years. Now I know the pandemic was in that time. Yeah. 
but it was three years from the time he said he started writing an, the next album. because he had no writers. Up until now. Him. <laughs> so um, in May 2022, they set up a website called Shut Up and Go to Bed <laughs> to tease new music. And they released a new single, Viva Las Vengeance, in June and announced that they would that would be the name of the next album, which would be released in the August with a tour starting in the autumn. Sorry, the way you keep saying they... <clears throat> Because it's still just Brendan here. Who do we have? Well, like what I was reading online, they still refer to him as like... They. They, even though it is just Brendan. And Nicole. She was only a touring guitarist. She wasn't mm. like an actual... There's probably touring people bassist, in there, yeah, that they just don't bother mentioning. But I think the band is just... the Well, actually the band from 2015 onwards is just... Him. Just him, yeah. Because I felt like with each album they just lost a band member. Yeah. So each album it was just less and less and less until it was just him. Yeah, 2015 to 2023. Yeah, that's when they ended this year. It was just him. Was the only like member. <laughs> Everyone else just touring and like writers and so whatever. So technically, it is essentially a solo project. Yeah. Yeah. But he just continued to go by like panic. So yeah. I still say they because it didn't turn into like just Brendan Urie. Yeah. Well, even though it wasn't. In July, they released the next single, Middle of a Breakup. And in August, they released Local God and Don't Let the Light Go Out. I hadn't heard any of these songs. Nope. You're saying these, I'm like, definitely don't know what these are. <laughs> On the same day the album was released, they released a music video for Sad Clown. Again, no idea. Never heard of it. Sounds terrifying. <laughs> it has also been considered to be a classic rock callback, adding to a sound that showcases guitars and nods to the arena rock sound of decades past, primarily the 1970s. And I included that quote because I listened to this album for the first time a few weeks ago, like when we knew mm. we were recording this. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It's like classic rock, but it's cheesy. It is bad. Why do they always go back to this classic rock thing? I don't know. Yeah, I just feel Isn't like that why he fell out with the guys in the first place? Because they wanted to do retro yeah. rock and he said no. And now he's like, it's fine, I'll do it. I'll try it. <gasps> oh, I yeah. re- have. Did you listen to some? So when I say, did I listen to it? Mm, I definitely listened to it and paid no attention to it. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed Death of a Bachelor and the other one the name is just gone from my head the one after it because I enjoyed them so much I was like looking forward to it I was like oh a new album and I heard the single Viva Las Vengeance and that sounds like Panic or well it sounds like Brenton and then the rest of the album I was like what the fuck because I was expecting to enjoy it but I was putting them on in the gym and obviously when you're in the gym you have to have a certain kind of sound to be listening to and I honestly was just like skip Skip, skip, yeah. skip. No, I don't like it. It's very classic rock. It doesn't sound like Panic at all. So in November, they announced that the Chicago date of the tour would be a live, would be live streamed as a digital concert in December under the name Everybody Needs a Place to Go, an evening with Panic at the Disco. Hmm. In October, they released an EP of the song House of Memories from Death of a Bachelor, along with a sped up and slowed down version of the song because it went viral on TikTok. I do like that song. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what I meant to look it up but I haven't looked up like the, the other versions but I can literally like imagine TikToks with like a sped up version a slow down version and the kind of things that like yeah, people won't people put to it <laughs> I've imagined this whole thing in my head <laughs> never seen it in January 2023 Brendan announced that Panic! at the Disco were disbanding <laughs> he was leaving himself <laughs> as his wife was expecting a baby and he was going to focus on his family after the Viva Las Vengeance tour which ended on March 10th in Manchester that was very funny when he announced that because literally everyone was like, oh, he's quitting himself. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the memes were so funny. It was all just like someone talking to himself yeah. in the mirror. <laughs> Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> That's not the song. <laughs> Seen as the band for eight years was just Brendan, I thought we'd give some info on him. And obviously I wanted to look up controversy stuff yeah. as well. But just a little background about him. He did vocals on the songs What a Catch Donnie and $20 Nosebleed from Fall Out Boy's 2008 album Folly Adieu. 
Didn't know that. He also sang back in vocals on the track Seven Minutes in Heaven, off from under the cork tree. And he's in the music videos for A Little Less Sixteen Candles, A Little More Touch Me, What A Catch Donnie, and Head First Slide into Cooperstown on a Bad Bet. Hmm. So I was like, I didn't know any of that. No, I did not know any of that. (laughs) I knew he was on What A Catch Donnie. And that's all I knew. In April 2017, he announced that he would star in Cindy Lauper's Tony Award-winning Broadway musical Kinky Boots, in which he played one of the lead roles, Charlie Price. And he played the role from May to August 2017. And being in a Broadway musical is what inspired the single High Hopes. Oh, I see it. Yeah. But I know, I think he was 29. I read about this like years ago. He was 29 during this time of Kinky Boots. And it's also when he wrote the song uh, Roaring Twenties. Because it was about ending his 20s on a high. Yeah. Like being in a Broadway musical and all this stuff. And that song was the lead up to my 30th birthday. I played that. I played it daily for like three months. (laughs) Lead up to turning 30. I was like, ha, 30 days to go or like whatever. And then I put it on like every single day I listened to it. I really liked it. I don't. But I definitely think... His voice was made for like Broadway musicals. Absolutely, yeah. His voice is incredible. Like whatever you think about Panic at the Disco, his voice is... Just him in general. He's very Broadway. Yeah, he's got the presence, I think, as well. So he also wrote a song for the SpongeBob SquarePants musical called Not a Simple Sponge. (laughs) Sorry, but that's the best thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I had no idea. I really enjoyed that fact. Not a simple sponge. I'm not a simple sponge. (laughs) I'm a complex sponge. I don't know why I just think of like... This is such a weird reference. There was that TV show as told by Ginger. Yeah. It used to be on Nickelodeon. And then her friend in it performed in the musical and was like, I'm a little seal girl living in the real world. <laughs> yeah, you either get that reference or you don't, but I'm not a simple sponge. <laughs> oh my God, that's so cute. Uh, anyway. <laughs> In June 2018, he launched the Highest Hopes Foundation, which supports other non-profit organizations that advocate for human rights and support communities who are often discriminated against. And to start off the funding of the foundation, he donated $1 million and he gave a dollar from the purchase of every US ticket for the Pray for the Wicked Tour to the foundation. So that's cute. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to tell, tell you bad things about him in a minute, but like <laughs> so we also, start off with the good but stuff. we'll say the good stuff as well. <laughs> so he married Sarah Orsachowski on April 27, 2013, after announcing their engagement in September 2011. The two had first briefly met at one of his shows, but she was in a relationship. And eight months later, Hayley Williams from Paramore brought Sarah to another one of his shows and reintroduced them and they began dating in 2009. It's all her fault. So it's Hayley Williams' fault. (laughs) But I'd like to point out, this seems like, in terms of celebrity relationships, right? Mm -hmm. They met in 2009, didn't get engaged till 2011, and then didn't get married till 2013. I'm like, that is a, a... a very normal timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in celebrities, it's usually like two months later, they, they were, married were married and divorced. And he had another wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, this timeline is like decent. So in 2013, Yuri came out and said that he had experimented with men in the past, but said, I guess if I had to classify myself, I'd say I'm straight. Then five years later, he came out and said he was pansexual and said I'm married to a woman and I'm very much in love with her but I'm not opposed to a man because to me I like a person if a person is great then a person is great Hmm. I do remember reading about that yeah so he is like openly like pansexual I suppose Um, he was diagnosed with ADHD at a young age and is open about it he says that like he likes to talk about it to make his fans feel less alone if they have ADHD Hmm. controversy time (laughs) now on to the bad stuff Basically, I liked Panic! at the Disco's music and stuff, but I didn't know much about the personal 
stuff and I knew he had a wife and that but one day I was on Twitter and everyone was like fuck Brendan Urie why the fuck is he bringing out new music everybody hates him go away and die and I was like what do we hate Brendan Urie I was like I miss this what the fuck's yeah, going I on really miss that. I knew people didn't like him in the sense that like people don't like Pete Wentz because he's just very you know oh shut up Brendan Urie you know but I didn't know there was anything bad about him. Yeah, I feel like I've never really had any feelings towards him either way. Yeah. I love his voice and like the music, but like I feel like he'd annoy me as a person. 100%. <laughs> He's very like jazz hands or something. <laughs> and like we wouldn't be friends. Um, but anyway, let's get into what let's I found get into it. when I started digging to find out why we all hate Brendan Urie. So in 2020, Dallin Weeks' wife, Breezy, yes, Breezy and Dallin are the name of this couple. <laughs> They came forward with allegations about Panic at the Disco's bodyguard, Zach Hall. The story's really weird. It's like they were going to a cinema together, like a big group of them. Mm. And the the bodyguard, Zach Hall, was like, I hope I get to sit beside Breezy. Maybe she'll give me a blowjob. Maybe she'll be easy breezy. (laughs) (laughs) Easy breezy beautiful. Cover girl. (laughs) Sorry, what an absolute random thing to say. Yeah. But it was in a text message. Like, I've actually seen it, like, when I was doing this research. Oh. It's like, hope she gives me a blowjob or something. And she was said that made her feel, feel very uncomfortable and this whole thing. And when it came out, like, because Dallin and Breezy came out with it and were like, this is gross. Like, do something about it. Yeah. And everyone was like, Brendan, speak out. Because it was during, like, Me Too and that kind of stuff. And he, like, didn't comment it for, on it for, like, weeks and weeks and weeks. Also, though, what's he going to say? Like, I think they wanted him, like, Zach to be fired. Oh, right, fair enough. You know, and, like, something yeah, yeah, to be yeah. done about it. Okay, fair but, enough, But, like, yeah. there was that touring musician who was fired for, for sexual perv, yeah. allegations, so I don't know. Then this person came out on Twitter during this time when everyone was like, Brendan, speak out, speak out about, like, what happened. This guy, his name on Twitter was Cam123456, you know, like, looks like one of those fake accounts. So he came out with allegations against Brendan from t- 2009. He said that he met Brendan after a show, and Brendan asked him if he'd ever made out with a man before. Apparently the guy Cam was like, I'm only like a minor, but Brendan tried to touch his thigh and Cam ran away. So someone else whose name on Twitter was Leah, one, two, three, four, five, seven, nine, nine, <laughs> ten, which again, like didn't have a profile picture, like, you know, could have been a fake account. Yeah. Came out and said that they had a similar experience in 2011 when they were 15 years old. She said that she, he had called her beautiful. And when she said, hey, I'm only 15, he said, I didn't mean it like that. Can I not compliment a beautiful girl? And then when they were sitting together, he placed his hand on her inner thighs, kissed her neck and grabbed her bum. And then he felt, she felt him touch her genitals. And that's when she ran away. Okay. So obviously these are pretty serious allegations of touching minors. These are the only two allegations that have come out, both by people with no profile picture and Mm. like not real looking accounts. Yeah. And maybe you don't want to come out with your full name and be like, hey, it's me, Claire Walsh. Brendan Urie touched me. Like, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe you like you want to get the allegations out there, but you don't want to actually involve yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. These things are always so... Like, what can you say about them? Do you know? Yeah. Because you're not... It's just two people on Twitter true, saying, saying these things. They are true either. And I like I was reading like Reddit forums and I was reading like all the stuff about it because there's so many Reddit questions that are like, why is Brendan Urie cancelled? And I was like, yes, I need to know this <laughs> for the podcast. But then like there are so many comments where people are like, these were never validated. Yeah. The accounts looked fake. People were saying it was the same person who like said something and then tried to back it up by being like, yeah, me too. That's the first thing that came into my head when you said that. Yeah. But they're very specific. 
Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what to think about it, but that was the extent of sexual misconduct yeah, allegations. Yeah. I'm not going to say it gets worse because I think sexual misconduct is the worst thing. Things that like have been verified to be true. He has been caught singing the N-word on live streams and stuff like that. He also decided to recite Chris Delia's monologue, I Wish I Was Black, at one of his concerts with like no context. He just started saying it. <laughs> Fans were like confused and just said it was really tasteless. But there are like videos of this that like if you Google it, you'll just find them straight away. Yeah. There's all these videos of him being like, I wish I was a black man. I could wear whatever I wanted and people wouldn't judge me and all this stuff. And it's just like, <sighs> why? Like, why? Yeah, Honestly, like why? sounds like the perfect word for that. Why would you do that? But like the N-word thing, he's been called out for loads of times and he just continues to do it. So 2011, he made jokes about rape. Mm-hmm. And this is some, I've watched this video and like my brain just exploded because I was like, oh it's just it's so bad but he's on stage talking to the crowd and he says if I see you after the show I'm gonna fuck you I don't care if you want it I more care if you don't want it because then I'll really want it nope 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 why none of that is okay no why would you wear why why would he say it like why did that even come into his I don't know (laughs) no 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 and then in another video he's talking about having wet dreams about his audience members sorry and then he's like if you don't know what a wet what dream is it's straight up gonna fuck you in my dreams is he all right like this all sounds a bit manic yeah this is fucking really disturbing but also think about his fan base of like teenage girls and well teenage boys as well or you know whatever but also is his wife just grand with all this (laughs) Yes, fuck the fans, babe. I support you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> a lot of people say that Brennan Urie is very disrespectful of the LGBTQAI plus community. He thought that like bisexuality was attractive. That was at the time when he was identifying as straight. He was like, oh, bisexuals are hot. And then people say about like the girls, girls, boys video that it's yeah. very like just using it. Yeah. Kind of thing. They also feel he inappropriately poked fun at the trans community when someone asked if he was a nine-year-old in skinny jeans and leather. He responded to the comment with a comment that said that was offensive to nine-year-olds, jean-gendered and leather-gendered people. Okay, so yeah, just take just kind of making fun it, out of like yeah. different genders and stuff like that. I, not like he just was doing that, but like, I don't, like he just it's just like not a nice person basically yeah, is the gist just, of it yeah. like whatever about the allegations whether you believe them or not or whether they're true or not but these are all true like it's we've like, seen like literal videos of these things online like they're not hard to find yeah he just doesn't sound like a nice person yeah in 2015 on Periscope he apparently compared Caitlyn Jenner and Rachel Dolezal do you know who Rachel Dolezal yes, is? yes have you seen that was it a documentary about her? yes so weird so if you don't know Rachel Dolezal is like a white woman who like says that she's black and like identifies as transracial. That's... I don't mean to laugh but the whole thing is so bizarre. Yeah but what Brendan said was if you can allow Bruce to become Caitlyn what's wrong with Rachel identifying as black? So everybody kind of lost their minds and they made him stop the, perico- the Periscope broadcast that he was doing and they spammed his Twitter until he apologised. He also joked that if he was born with a penis and a vagina he would get nothing done because he'd play with himself all day. Which Aww. is making se- fun of intersex people well, it's also just gross like yeah, well that as well <laughs> do you know like he just sounds like a dirty pervert yeah but it's like think of his fan base like the music is pretty clean and yeah. poppy and like does appeal to a younger audience as well as like me <laughs> i'm just shocked his wife is chill with all this yeah and they've been together like 20 years now no 10 years like my maths are so bad <laughs> And also, the story of Pete Wentz, is he just not cool with 
Like if I was Pete off. Wentz and like I'm there trying to like get their band to be big and like you know kind of I would come out and say I do not support anything that Brendan fucking Yuri is. And I'd also it. take Brendan aside, like take him by the collar and be like, man, would you just shut the fuck up with your really bad opinions on yeah. everything? He's just not a great guy. When I went to see them, I can't remember what year that was. I do remember thinking that his performance and his dancing and everything was all very sexualized. Mm. There's a lot of gyrating going on. And what year was that? Like what album? It was like 2018, I'd say. What album is that? Pray for the Wicked. Sure. <laughs> that came out in 2018. So probably wouldn't have been around then. But it's, yeah, I just remember him like gyrating is literally the word that comes to my head when I think of that show. Hmm. And at the time I was like, ooh, yeah, sexy. But like, now I'm like, ew, perv. Yeah, now he's like, I'm going to fuck yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm sad because I've never seen them live. Um, never. Oh. And when I heard that they were disbanding and like this was going to be their last tour, I was on Ticketmaster like looking at tickets being like, I want to see them before they Oh, I didn't even stop. think of that, that you'd never see them again. Yeah. Hate but, that for you. Hmm. You missed but I just want to I just want to hear the music and that and like see him perform live because I do think like his voice and all is amazing so I yeah. would like to see it live but uh, reading all this is just like, like a really bad taste in my yeah, mouth so I'm like I'm, I'm uh, not impressed to be honest not that sad they broke yeah, up yeah. and especially not after hearing that latest album I'm like mm, <laughs> okay not that sad wasn't there a whole big thing where Pete Wentz announced his baby yeah so Pete Wentz posted something I think on his Instagram stories and in the background was a picture of Brendan like holding Sarah and a bump and it was before Brendan had announced that she was pregnant. So therefore, Pete Wentz is obviously still close to yeah. him. No, I'm not impressed with any of this now, to be honest. Yeah. If you came out with all these opinions and stuff, I would be like, girl, <laughs> we're not friends. <laughs> I don't know. It is sad. To, like, yeah. When I was reading about the allegations, I was like, oh, God, no, he's cancelled. And then I was like... He just makes himself sound really uneducated. Yeah. Do you know? Like, he's like that guy that you know you definitely know this guy because we all know this guy who's like still saying the f word and the n word and all like in his jokes and you're looking at him like dude it's 2023 like pop the fuck on what do you live under a bridge like you can't say that (laughs) literally i know several people like that i'm not impressed all men shocking (laughs) shocking we love men sorry don't (laughs) hardly what is your song to repeat oh my song to repeat is such a boring one Okay. And, and I was like, oh, would I go with something a bit more original or like out there? And I was like, no, because this is my song that I repeat and I have repeated it since I heard it back in the day. Okay. So it's time to dance. It's a good one. It's just so good. It's yeah. so catchy and you literally would never turn it off. Really, really good. Love it. And I've, like I said, repeated it ever since I first heard it. So I could not pick it. And do you dance every time? Always. <laughs> You're like, ah, Claire, time to dance. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> Well, when I was going to this, I was like, okay. I was like, well, my song to repeat is 100% going to be off A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. And my song to skip is 100% going to be off Pretty Odd. Yes. Neither of which are true. <gasps> Tell me. Because when I was listening to the albums through, the song that I kept putting on, and this is like such a bizarre choice, but I literally haven't stopped listening to it for weeks now. Death of a Bachelor. That is a really bizarre choice. I know, isn't yeah. it? But like, no. I really like it. I loved it like when I first started listening to the album. But in the past couple of weeks, I just keep putting it on. It's so epic, but in a way, it reminds me of Fever. I think I just really don't like the whole premise of that and the death of a bachelor thing. I think he's all like, ooh, boo, I have to get married now. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm. But the song is good. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your song to skip? My song to skip is... Let's just say the whole pretty Anna. <laughs> yeah, so essentially, and we talked about this, it's... I actually have to get the name of it because I don't know. It, we're so starving. 
which is the first song on Pretty Odd where he's like, I was saying this to you, I was like, this is the most awkward song I've ever heard. He's just like, sorry, we've been away. We were writing some songs for you guys and here they are. And it's like, this is... I do, I do remember, because uh, I only listen to Pretty Odd like once through. That was enough for me. Yeah. But I do remember hearing that and being like, what is it's this? It's just so <laughs> awkward. It's like, right, Brendan, you don't need to tell us this. Just get on with it. Yeah. yeah no, there wasn't it. even, what is there, like a few years between the two albums? Yeah, like it's- <laughs> exactly. It's not like there was years and years we were waiting for it. Usually there's a few years between albums, so nothing weird. You don't need to announce it. <laughs> My song to skip, again, controversial. It's actually High Hopes. No, I don't blame you for that, actually. It's a bit overplayed. It's very overplayed. And it, this has been in my head for a few weeks now, because when I was listening to that album, I was like, oh, what song's next? And I saw it was High Hopes, and I was like, nah, I want to skip that. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's it. That's my song to skip, yeah. because I don't want to listen to it. And it's like, it's just one of those ones that's been used so much, because obviously it was number four in the charts. Yeah. But literally today, this afternoon, I came home from the park, and my mom was watching Britain's Got Talent. And, and in the background, they had High Hopes. Yeah. It's I just like the I song guess. they use in the background of talent shows now. Nah, does nothing for me. Uh, it was just so overplayed. It has just occurred to me who you did not mention he collabed with. Yes. <laughs> my all-time favourite, who you hate or just really don't like. Who? Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. Actually, I did read that. What was that I song just... again? Oh, it was awful. I hated it. Oh, what was the song? I can't even remember what it was called. I didn't I just like remember it. it. So I just didn't include it in the episode. I watched her documentary and she was recording it with them. And it was really awkward because she was like, yeah, 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 that's great. But can you do it more like this? Or like, it'd be great if you could do it a bit like this. And he was like, sure. And then he sang it and sang it the exact same way. And she was like, yeah, okay, cool. But it'd be great if you could do it like this. He was like, sure. And then just kept singing it I think that's it what it way. is. That the thing I had in my head about him, like my made up opinion of him before I knew anything was that he would be a diva. Yeah, it was just very, okay, he's not listening to her whatsoever and he's just going to go with it. Yeah, like he's always just going to do his own thing. Yeah. That's my made up opinion. But, you know, probably true. (laughs) I feel like it's true. He's a pervert and a diva. Charming. My favourite combination. (laughs) (laughs) So, who are you going to do for our next episode? So, I didn't know until you said it was the one that you didn't do because you knew I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Again, would I put them as emo quotation marks? Probably not, but they are 100% in that time period of our lives where we're starting to get into this music. And it is good, Charlotte. (laughs) I am excited. I love them. I'm so excited to listen to them. Yeah. Because I haven't listened to them in ages. I feel like it's going to be cheesy. It's going to be so (laughs) cheesy. That's exactly what they were. I still can't wait to listen to it, like for the memories. Yeah. And I haven't heard from them in a while. And I really hope there's no controversy. I hope none of them are perverts. (laughs) But we we shall tune in to find out. (laughs) Who wants to hear our new podcast? We're just changing the name. It's no longer Foundations of Emo. It's Pervert Stories. (laughs) I think we would listen to that (laughs) though. Pervert Stories. We would have so many lists. Jesus. Anyway, thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want, you can follow us on social media platforms. We are Foundations of Emo on Instagram and on TikTok, where we put up back behind the scenes backstage. <laughs> wow, that made it sound official. Backstage on our shows. Backstage. Behind the scenes videos of us recording these podcasts and all the funny moments that we have. And we are Foundations Emo on Twitter, which I barely use. <laughs> But yeah, I'm no, active Dan- on the other platforms. Danny's saying I, and also notice how I am never the one talking about the social media because I don't know what our handles are because it's all Danny. It's Danny. all me. If you're messaging the podcast, it's me. It's Danny. So don't bitch social- about me. Actually, social do. media queen. I deserve it. <laughs> anyway, talk to you later. Okay, bye.